This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we will help you learn to invest in 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. How are you? Mate, very well. Feeling a bit under the weather. It's been a big week, but uh, what can you do? Got to push on. Yeah, that's it. That's it. For those that did tune into last week's episode, we said that we were. I was going to surprise Ren with a, a quote that we had. Uh, I had come across in a, in a podcast, and and because of time, we decided to save it for this episode. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Um, so Ren, if you have it, don't have anything to add, we may as well jump straight into it. No, let's do it. I'm very excited. I've been waiting all week to. <laughs> Righty. Well, so let's give it some context. The The quote is, comes from a podcast called The Investor's Podcast. We study billionaires. In my opinion, a very good podcast uh, for all investors. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily speak to all beginners, but by all means, go and give it a crack. Uh, they speak to a lot of very good and professional experts in, in the industry, um, and you can absolutely get a lot out of it. I know you also enjoy it, Ren. Yeah, yeah. Even though they're probably technically our competition we're all about uh spreading the love and you know growing growing the pie for all investing podcasts out there absolutely we did actually ask to interview them and they said no so <laughs> <laughs> so we just we so... just stole a clip from their show instead <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come at us investors podcast. <laughs> come, come and get us exactly <laughs> So we're plagiarizing their show. Yeah. So look, one of the people that they, I wouldn't say regularly, but one of their good friends is a guy by the name of Jesse Felder, and he does often appear on their show. Um, and, and he's one of the investors that I, you know, like following more so than others. I just feel like I am more on board with his thesis than a lot of others. Um, and he runs a very good online blog called The Felder Report that is definitely worth checking out. Uh, so head to his website and obviously we're giving him a plug as well. But just to yeah, give a bit and, of... And he also has a podcast as well. Um, he does. <laughs> he's got a couple, doesn't so, he? No, I think his one is, is Super Investors and the Art of Worldly Wisdom. Is that... Is that that sounds familiar, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's him. So if, a... if not, we'll just give that podcast a plug as well. <laughs> Let's just plug heaps of podcasts on this yeah. episode. <laughs> we, I mean, we could do an episode on that, uh, the investing podcast we listen to. We it, may, it may, may be shooting ourselves in the foot, but yeah. you know, if it helps our listeners, that's 
probably if, a good if thing. we say a mass exodus after that episode, we yeah. know we've, re- <laughs> we've really hurt ourselves. Yeah. Anyway, so I think that, so. Let's give some context to Jesse. Jesse uh, is a very intelligent man, and uh, he's been managing money for over twenty years now. Began his professional career at Bear Stearns and Co. And then later went on to co-found a multi-billion-dollar hedge fund that was headquartered in California. Uh, as a result of that, he's obviously been able to retire happy. And today, he just works with a select group of clients privately through his Felder and Company. And he dedicates time to this blog. I think he releases a couple of um, pieces or articles each week, and it's just great to follow his insight on the market. Now, that's what leads into this quote, Ren. So you have a thesis. Um, well, how about we listen to the quote first, and then okay, okay. and then we can chat. So I've I've I was listening to this. This was him being interviewed by uh, the Investors Podcast, uh, Stig and Preston, um, and among other things, they asked him about uh, his theory on the buy and hold cult. So let's take it away. I'm really happy you bring this up, Jesse, because it's really a nice segue to the next question that we're going to ask. And this is really my favorite question here for this interview, because as an avid reader of your blog, I love how you coin new financial terms. You have this thing that you call the buy and hold cult. So could you please tell us what do you mean by that? And what is it that the buy and hold cult doesn't want retail investors like us to know? Right. Uh, that was... Um a choice of words that uh, that I mean. I, I really think that we are in a, in a speculative mania currently, and uh, a bubble. And and the way one of the ways that George Soros defines a bubble is um, there's some uh, narrative that supports the bubble that is patently false. And so in 1929 and 2000, it was very similar. It was, we're entering a new era where growth is going to be above the historical trends and, and valuations don't matter. And, you know, all these bricks and brick and mortar companies are dead and eyeballs are all that matter. And, you know, it's this idea of a new era was going to save us uh, and, and going to make anybody who committed any capital at any price a millionaire. That narrative was proven, you know, drastically wrong <laughs> in the years to follow. I think today the narrative that is clearly wrong is that people say I can invest passively because so long as I have a long enough time frame, I will always be made whole. I don't care about what the next bear market holds for me. I don't even care if it's a 50% drawdown, I'll make my money back. And that's what the markets have taught them over the last 20 years. But markets have a habit of teaching you something and then, you know, just in time to teach you the opposite lesson. <laughs> and so I... I and so. I, I fear that today, you know, there's the, the, the narrative that is, is going to be proven false is that people believe so long as I can hold on for 20 years, I'll be made whole. And, you know, if you were to say that to Japanese investors, they would laugh you out of the room. Um, today, you know, the, the Nikkei, you know, peaked in 1990 and it's still below its peak price from 1990. I don't see why that's not possible here. And in fact, when you look at the valuation, you look at the Buffett, the Buffett yardstick, right? You look at, at, at market cap to GDP. Today, our market is more expensive on this Buffett yardstick than the Japanese market was in 1990. So that's, to me, that's a real possibility. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I talk about this buy, buy and hold cult because I think there is this mindset of people who think, you know, as long as I can hold on for 10 or 20 years, I don't need to worry. All righty, Ren. So did you listen to all of that the whole way through? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> you didn't stop it at any point in time. No, no, I listened to it all. Okay. So I guess the reason I played it to you was because something that we've discussed 
at the live shows that we've been doing and we've been discussing on on our podcast over the last couple of months or so is this notion of you know over a 20 year period the markets have never been down and and uh this hot this sort of buy and hold strategy is definitely one that you can you can put in place and so when i heard jesse come out so confidently and say that he thinks this approach may be entirely incorrect uh i thought i would give it to you and see what you have to say what are your yeah, initial okay. thoughts <laughs> <laughs> so the the first thing is that it's not it's not something that we have well, that, that i d- disagree with um i'm trying to remember the episode we did uh where we were talking about well, I was talking about how I'm looking at uh, listed investment companies because I think um, passive investment vehicles like ETFs have outperformed for the last 10 years and I think their performance will revert to the main and active management will uh, outperform. Yeah, I think um, I was just within the last month or so you were discussing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in the broader sense, I, I do agree that uh, passive investment has had a massive bull run um, and we see it in the uh, massive valuations in the top end of uh, markets, you know, the top 100 companies, top in, you know, in the, the NASDAQ market, the top 10 companies compared to the rest of the market. A lot of that can be attributed to uh, the ETFs buying and holding. But, but, there's always a but. Yes. I, <laughs> I, I think his... His example is of Japan is probably a bit misleading okay. because because if so if you were only going to buy and hold American ETFs you know the S and P five hundred and the Nasdaq one hundred then yeah sure you're probably uh, you you may hold it for twenty years and you may not get a lot of return and you know if you if the market collapses around us and it takes a while to recover uh, you might not get made whole for a while but that isn't that isn't the investment strategy. That that you should be pursuing. You shouldn't just be uh, isolating your investments to one country because if you were a buy and hold investor in the 90s and you did buy the Japanese index, you should have also bought other indexes, perhaps the uh, NASDAQ in America, which had a massive bull run in the 90s, or the S&P, which uh, did quite well well, in part of the 90s and then uh, in the latter half of the 2000s before the JFC and then again after the JFC. You probably could have bought Australia and uh, on the back of our minerals boom, uh, had a very good run from the 90s onwards. You could have bought... um, You you get my point. Yeah, absolutely. the, The... the concept of buying and holding um, only works if you diversify your sources of risk um, and you know across different markets and across different industries and stuff like that. Because yeah, like if you had bought buy, bought and held newspaper companies from the 1950s onwards, well, you would have had great performance in the first half of that, and then the terrible performance in the second half of that. If you if you bought and held, I'm trying to think of another industry that's going out of business. Um, Auto cars. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Oh, maybe if you bought and held oil companies from today onwards, maybe maybe you wouldn't get a lot of return. You know, for the next twenty years, thirty years, forty years, as alternative fuels take over. Like you can't you can't just buy and hold one thing and expect to get eight percent return a year. But but the fundamental premise of buying and holding is a little more um, thought through than just it's done really well since the JFC. Uh, it's it's 
more that the index will rebalance over time and the best performing companies will be added to that index as they grow and the worst performing companies will be taken out of that index as they fall. And therefore, you will always have exposure to companies that will have grown and hopefully will continue to grow into the future while you lessen your exposure to companies that are in decline. So a classic example of that is if you held the S&P 500 um, uh, ETF, your exposure to companies like Facebook, Netflix and Amazon has grown as they grow and become bigger parts of the index, while at the same time your exposure to companies like GE um, has fallen as they lose market share and they lose market value and they become a smaller part of the index. So obviously there is, there's a little bit of if a company's in the index, it's already grown a lot to get in the index. But as we've seen from, you know, a myriad of companies recently, they still have a lot of growth left once they form part of the index. Um, and then also, you know, uh, buying and holding is very tax efficient and stuff as well. But we don't need to worry so much about that. Um, so yeah, look, in, in the most general sense, I don't disagree that passive has done very well and their, their performance will revert to the main in some sense. And you'll probably see active management have a little bit better as, you know, investors, active managers look for value and find value and the market realizes they're undervalued and some of the bigger companies might be a little bit overvalued. No doubt that that will probably come at some point. But in terms of a strategy, I I don't think that ETFs are going to be a passing fad in, uh, in, in the same way that, you know, tech stocks in 2000 that had no revenue were. Yeah. No, agree. So that's my, that's my big rant. Um, <laughs> nice. Do you have any thoughts? I mean, it's pretty well in line with what I thought you would say, particularly around the, you know, sources of risk, um, because we always sort of framed this concept of buying and holding and an ETF passive investment with, you know, it, it's a, a good strategy if you're still diversifying your risk. So I think you're right when he, when you say that his, his example of just specifically Japan can probably be a bit misleading. But I guess my question is, do you think that that means from his point of view that uh, specifically for, for certain markets, he sees that over the next 20 years, there's, well, he sees that there's going to be markets that don't recover to this point. Uh, you know, he mentioned that we're at, at in a speculative bubble at the moment, um, and he obviously has the opinion that it, when it does crash, it might not recover for an extended period of time. Would you take out that same sort of idea from him? I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to put words in his mouth. Um, yeah, I, I guess pro- probably the other important thing is the the backtesting on um, buying and holding strategies is has been longer than the last decade. Mm. Um, like a lot of a lot of backtesting goes back to sort of the 60s and do you um, just want to explain what backtesting is for our for our beginner listeners yeah so when uh especially like quantitative investors so investors that use computer models to uh, invest they can back test their you know their algorithms or their investing theories on his historic market data and so a lot of these um quantitative investors will uh, apply whatever their algorithm is to market data from like the 1960s onwards to backtest their theory and see how it will have performed over time because obviously you can't uh, forward test and you know or 
crystal ball it, it. Yeah, if you're testing it on live market data, you, I mean, you could you could do it as like a dummy exercise, but then you're beholden to the time. Whereas if you back test, you can uh, calculate it quite quickly. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a common way that people test their theories and their formulas and um, their strategies. And yeah, look at the end of the day. It's the market, when you think about what the share market is, it's all of these pools of capital investing in concepts and you know talented people whose main motivation is to increase shareholder value, grow their companies and um, return money to shareholders like that. That is what the concept of a publicly listed company is there for. And I think, you know, the ability to invest in those companies over a long period of time, uh, where they retain their earnings and they invested at a high rate of return. And they grow their markets over time. Um, I think it's it's a pretty time honoured uh, theory that it, that mm. has worked quite well. Mm. And obviously, there will be periods of you know a lot of money going into it, so it becomes overvalued, and so then your future returns are lessened. And there will be periods where you know active management does really well, or particular sectors do really well, and so money flows into those sectors. And then broader market indexes will then do better over a period of time because they're undervalued at the moment. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But but I think yeah, I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think just just because there's a lot of money in it at the moment, it doesn't mean you throw the whole theory out with it. Yeah, yeah, nice. And one. if Jesse if, if Jesse Felder wants to have a chat about this, yeah, come on um, the show. Come on the show. <laughs> that would be epic. Anyway. No, it's good, Ren. I uh, always enjoy listening to your opinions. So, um, you know, pretty much I thought you would say very similar things to what you have just said. So, uh, good that you haven't uh, lost your mind over the last busy, busy week of moving houses and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Ren, let's uh, leave it there. If you have uh, anything else to add, um, uh, take it away. Otherwise, um, always good to chat. And I hope the, that was. If anything, we've exposed our listeners to a two worthwhile uh, investing podcast to listen to other than our own. So yeah, head over and check out Jesse Felder and his blog. He's a very, very um, intelligent man and, and worth following. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. We'll chat next week, Ren. Sounds good. Hello, mates of Equity Mates. Oh, I guess that just makes you Equity Mates. Anyway, it's Bryce here. One of the most frequently asked questions we get is, where do we find information about all these stocks and, and where's a good place to start? Now, we could do a whole episode on this, and we often do touch on it, but the best place to start is by signing up to our Thought Starters weekly email. Each week, we send you some cool stuff that has caught our eye during the week, as well as some more detailed articles on stocks and invested-relating content. We also include Basics 101. These are articles tailored specifically for beginners to really propel you on your way. We don't spam you. I mean, we hate spam. It's once a week, and there's enough stuff in there to occupy you for a full day of browsing at work. Now, Ren puts a lot of effort into finding quality articles for you guys. So if anything, just sign up so he feels the love. Head to equitymates.com and chuck in your email at the bottom of the page. Equitymates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.